0: A Netflix live event happening May fifth, hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion, gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May fifth at five p.m. Pacific time for the roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
1: David saw that when I was tw- when we had twenty-three teams in the NBA. He saw that Sacramento was a city that someday was going to be one of the most dynamic cities in the United States oh, no. Red
0: My guest today, his name is synonymous with uh, Sacramento. When you hear the name Lucanville, you think Sacramento. When you hear the name Lucanbill, you realize why there's NBA basketball and professional sports in Sacramento. The man that brought the NBA to Sacramento back in the mid 80s, Greg Lucanbill, joins me right here on the podcast. How are you, sir?
1: I am uh, probably one of the luckiest people that ever walked on the planet and living the dream, brother. You
0: are living the dream. You know, I'm wondering, had you not brought the NBA to Sacramento? Had you not brought professional sports to Sacramento? What do you think Sacramento would be like today?
1: It hasn't changed that much even with professional <laughs> sports. I mean, it's better, a little bit better, but it's not what it could be by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, what? I what Sacramento was, from the time I grew up here where you could re- – you could drive in the city of Sacramento, basically condemned itself to this destiny. And they're not that far out of it at the moment, but they're trying really hard. And that is you could drive from, you will literally drive from Rio Linda to Meadowview uh, through slums that would have qualified as disadvantaged housing nonstop for probably 20 miles and all in the city. And that's the Sacramento I grew up in. And, and so Sacramento had this philosophy that they adopted brought to you by the 1970s of what I would call the permanent perpetuation of mediocrity. And that's what I grew up in.
0: Hmm. I'm wondering, when you brought the Kings to Sacramento in 1985, did you know that it would be as successful in such a big story around the NBA because of the fan support and the excitement because what happened at that Arco one, 10,333 Greg, I remember when I came to Sacramento in 1987 and I remember doing a story for channel 31 in the fall of people that had been sleeping overnight in line with tents and chairs for two or three nights to get individual game tickets that were going on sale. I had never seen anything like that. Did you like being an NBA owner?
1: You know what? I, I will say this. Okay. It just is a, my personality type. Okay. I, I, was out of my league so far in terms of, (laughs) what are you talking about, brother? I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ, I was 28 freaking years old. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That was no joke. I mean, I honestly, I was proud to be there, but I also recognized that these guys could, you know, snap me off the table with one finger, number one. But number two, I lit David Stern and that board up so much with just very two very simple things. And you started this conversation about the temporary arena. I'm here to tell you that nobody was more blown away than David Stern by that temporary arena. Number one. Number two, he offered me a job permanently in the NBA in 1987-88. Okay, to come back and and this was I mean that guy was a really a visionary. And this was long before the whatever the hell they call this minor league NBA thing they got floating around that's been their feeder into the NBA. And he wanted me to come back there and build that temporary arena as a cookie cutter facility on colleges campuses and in secondary cities all over the United States because he fell in love with that building.
0: I say David Stern, you say what?
1: Well, I would say, first off, what's a 28-year-old doing the shit I was doing at the NBA, <laughs> right? right? Well, right. Game is I'm chopped liver, bro. <laughs> right. But the beautiful thing of it was that he, he believed in me. I sold him on a very simple principle about world history, national history, and Sacramento history, which was that we were a sleeping giant, that we were the city that won the West, that we fell asleep in the 20th century. And that we were just a little phoenix getting ready to rise from the ashes. And the reality of it was is that we, we have the 20th largest media market, but we didn't have any facilities and we had no facilities. And that was sad. I mean, we didn't even have ring. The last time Raining Brothers had been in Sacramento was in 1948 at the Memorial Auditorium. They outgrew the facilities and that was the end of that. When you say David Stern, I just say two things, okay? Temporary Arena and the title sponsorship thing that I dreamed up that had never been done before related to naming rights. And the fact that, I mean, he just about passed out over that one. And so I got the MBA thinking about what I would call the anchor tenant in the shopping center, which to me was, you know, having grown up in the development business was the simplest philosophy in the world, which is the anchor tenant in the shopping center was the primary tenant and everybody else was in the satellite space around the perimeter. And so I, to me, the anchor tenant in the shopping center was an NBA team or an NHL team in the arena, right? So if they're going to come in there and occupy 40-some days out of 200 and then you get all these other types of events around it, you become the anchor tenant. So I just, my philosophy was to take the concessions, parking, advertising, novelties, suites, boxes, and all revenues, in addition to that, the title sponsorship or naming rights revenues inside the building into one entity and use that to support the the team in a small market. Well, Jesus, David fell in love with that concept because he got it. Because the problem with the imbalance of the NBA and all the sports except the NFL is that they don't share their revenues, right? So we can – it makes it difficult for – you know, from the time I got in the league onward, the whole thing was trying to figure out how to create a balance, competitive balance. And and then David was the guy single-handedly that did that in the NBA. So – I mean, David Stern changed the course of the NBA into probably the second most popular sport in, in the United States. Honestly, you're no certainly question. the third most popular sport. And he did it in a very dynamic singular way. If you can imagine this when I bought the Kings, the salary the combined salaries of the entire team was under three million dollars for all twelve players. Wow. a year. How about that? So isn't I mean think wow. about that. So wow. I mean that that but I can't tell David Stern did more, honestly. David Stern did more for the NBA than Pete Rozelle did for the NFL, and that's saying a ton. And, I, and, I, and, he, and he probably
0: well, and he, and he saved the Kings. I mean, you put him or Kevin Johnson. I mean, a, a, one A, one two, one B about keeping the Kings. I mean, without David Stern, there's not a chance no, in the world the Kings are still in Sacramento.
1: No, yeah, no. David's there. It, it wouldn't have mattered. Kevin was irrelevant. Uh, David. David Stern caught Kevin. I can tell you this personally, having talked to David and Kevin. David Stern basically why do you think chris Granger was out here brother why do you think that the nba sent so many people to sacramento to try and give sacramento yep no i got you basically teach sacramento how to grow up and grow and get and strap on a pair and save the team okay that's really what it was about sure it was yes it (laughs) was and he did it and it took him four or five years to do it but he david stern is the only reason it happened and kevin came along came in along the way but david was underway with that battle before kevin became mayor and and he had his hands full going all the way back to me figuring out and getting out because of the salary spiral situation going crazy and what i called the domino showcase of the annual draft that was driving salaries through the roof and recognizing that all the money in the world sacramento was not going to be able to keep up with the other sports and that we were going to end up losing a hell of a lot of money, which I wasn't prepared to do. I didn't do this. I, you know, I didn't do for, do it for the money, but I sure as hell didn't do it to lose money. Either, so you know? so when you sold so, the
0: Kings, so when you sold the Kings to Jim Thomas, it was not a hard decision for you because you didn't have a choice. You knew that you had to get out then or. or I,
1: well, no, no, I could see the, the, the ultimate uh, struggle of the reality of the spiraling salaries eating small markets alive. Right. And so the reality for Sacramento, which has, we didn't have any fortune. We didn't have any businesses in Sacramento. We didn't have any Fortune 500s. We didn't have any Fortune 1000s. I guess the Aerojet probably would qualify, but they weren't in the city. They were out. They were in the county. And 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 I guess what I'm trying to get at is is that because we couldn't. We didn't. You know, they were looking for big businesses. So we didn't have any. Right. My concept is consolidated. Uh, you know, naming rights, all that stuff together. And if I can do that, I think I can actually get control of the concessions, parking, advertising, and all that nonsense against the city and make it work there, too. But I want an expansion team for Sacramento. And, and, and when I said that to the board, they just said to me flat out, we're not doing expansion. There's no possibility there's going to be expansion anytime soon. Move the team. Just make your motion to the Board of Governors to move the team, and we're going to approve you moving the team because we're not doing expansion. And it's not working in Kansas City because we have the worst performing right. team. in the NBA. Right. No, I got you. So, and the, so for all of the 87 reasons I just described earlier, and in October of 85, okay, we open up. In January of 86, because of what happened in Sacramento, this almost brings tears to my eyes when I tell you this, brother, uh, they took applications for four NBA teams. In, in three months after we opened the temporary arena. Think about that.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: That's how big of an impact. Yeah. The combination of the temporary arena. Yep. The, the 25,000 season ticket holders that apply, people that apply for season tickets, that, that just knocked David to the floor. I mean, we had we had a list of 25,000 applicants for season tickets. You know, the uh, vertical integration of the business structure, the consensus park, parking, advertising, novelties. The naming rights deal with ARCO. And then on top of that was the fact that our revenue in that building became the fifth highest revenue in the NBA, which will tell you kind of the reality of the fact that Sacramento could rocket from 23rd in Kansas City, and there was only 23 teams in the league, to number five as to the sorry economic state of the league when David took over. See, here's what
0: I don't understand. Based on what you just said about Fortune 500 companies and the lack thereof, when I moved to Sacramento in 87, I got there right as the March on Baseball was going on, and you had busloads and busloads of people going to the Oakland Coliseum. You actually started to build a baseball stadium on the grounds right where the new ARCO was, and then you tried to get the Raiders here. How on earth would have all of that worked without the corporate structure in Sacramento? How could have that possibly happened?
1: because an NFL franchise isn't isn't a local more even regional market brother we had deals with people in Reno we had deals with businesses in Las Vegas i'm not making this up they called us because of the raiders deal we had businesses in San Francisco and Oakland willing to buy suites in Sacramento it would have it would have completely reversed the relationship of Sacramento to San Francisco and Oakland over the last 150, 175 years because if we had the Raiders here in a brand new facility, which Al Davis, I mean...
0: How close did did that come to really... It
1: was a done deal. Joe Benvenuti blew up the deal, flat and simple. There's nothing else to say. I mean... Come on. He wrote a letter to Al Davis and Al Davis said, you know, it was listen, that 1% that I didn't own ended up being the the most significant 1% of my entire business career. And that is that I couldn't do the deal without Joe's consent, and so it was a done deal. And I'm telling you, everybody from C.K. McClatchy to every I, every Why did Joe blow the Why did Joe
0: blow up? the deal up?
1: Because because the city council was given Al fifty million dollars, and he wanted to know why I couldn't get the fifty million for him instead of Al. Wow, so it really was that, that
0: close, me. huh, Greg? I mean, he
1: said that to me. Wow. I'm telling you straight up, he said to me, "Why are you giving?" the $50 million to Al Davis. And, of course, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. That deal had us – it was a really simple deal. I mean, it, and it solved all my problems, right, before I got out. And this is why I got out, by the way. Because the NFL has has a – they share 100% of their revenues. So, I mean, their television revenue this year is over $400 million per team. And if they have a long-term contract, it'll take it over a half a billion per team. So the point is that their long-term television revenue in Green Bay, Wisconsin, is the same as it is in New York City or Los Angeles.
0: Right, I got you there. It doesn't sure. matter where you
1: are, Dallas, okay, wherever. I mean, they make all team members in the 32 teams in the NFL competitive by, get, by sharing 100% of their revenue. It was genius. And you know who the guy was responsible for making that happen? One of the key guys, Al Davis and Lamar Hunt. When they started the AFL, and then facilitated the merger with the NFL with Pete Rozelle. And that's what changed the course of the NFL history. You just cannot – I can't tell you how significant having a Green Bay in Sacramento would mean for Sacramento, as I said earlier, about the business ramifications. We had people from Las Vegas, from Fresno. We had well, – see, it's not a reasonable deal. It becomes a much larger-scale deal when you deal with an NFL team. People will – Drive or fly three or four hundred miles to see a game. It's really that simple. It's not many. That that not that. Many yeah, games. no, you're right.
0: They they do. People do it all the time. So you would have had no problem selling all the suites, all the tickets, and at the same time keeping the Sacramento Kings viable with well, their sellouts I mean, every
1: listen, game. And here's why. I and mean, I'm, I'm gonna tell you why this still worked until hell freezes over. When you think about where we are today, thirty-five years later, okay, or, or actually thirty years later, thirty years later, okay. Yep. Eighty-nine, ninety. So it would have been 31 years later. This is the the structure of the deal. We paid about $6 million for the Kings, okay? And Al didn't pay much for the Raiders. And we built the temporary arena, and then we had the permanent arena. We had all the land around it, so we were just getting started. And, I mean, look at what's going on around the SoFi facility in L.A. right now. It's unbelievable. Give you an example. It's unbelievable. And, right. and and let me just say this to you, and I will tell you that, you know, subsequently Rob McGuire and Jim Thomas came up for scratching their head that could not understand why what I was doing was in the position that it was in until he met the partners. Right. <laughs> I'll just leave it but anyway, right. but he did say to me, and I quote, this is a this is a case this whole layout is a case study for the Urban Land Institute to uh, to turn into a state-of-the-art analysis of how you do it the right way. And that was, that was his take on it. But, but to get back to the point about the Raiders, okay, sure. the deal I cut was this. It was really simple. The value for the Raiders was $100 million. We were going to end up in a straight-across trade where we ended up with 25% of the whole operation, the Raiders and the Kings, and both facilities. And Al was going to take... Seventy-five percent of the responsibility, and share the Raiders' television revenue to pay the basketball team's salaries, and because Al would have been the managing partner of the basketball team, which I was totally fine with that. I'm here to tell you. So I and and he was excited about it, and we used to talk about that kind of stuff at you know freaking midnight. We'd be talking about the players on the team, and I mean I probably had fifty conversations with Al Davis. It compared, Al Davis was a straight shooting, honest, very tough very uh solid businessman and he he was just a tough guy but he never there he never did a single thing he never committed he never broke his word to me and for two years after that deal blew up he was still wanted to talk to me was he pissed
0: though was he just absolutely was he uh, like blown away when the deal when joe said no we're not doing it
1: no he was afraid to do it that's the problem i mean it wasn't that he didn't want to do the deal he was afraid of doing the deal in the way that it was constructed with Joe Benvenuti having 50% of my part of it, right? And so it would have happened. I had an opportunity to have Angelo and Fred change the equation because Fred Anderson was involved in a lot of the time. And Fred actually made a couple of trips to L.A. with me. Fred Anderson, who's deceased now. He did it about 20, yep. 24 years ago. But he made two of the trips to L.A. with me to meet with Al. And so it was for real. I mean, Fred was going to put money up, and Al, and Angelo was going to put money up. I don't know what was the problem with Fred. I never got a little weird with Fred at the end too, because of Joe, I think, honestly. And so the whole dynamic, see, again, I'm out of my league, right? I'm dealing with guys that are probably worth a half a billion dollars, and I'm 28 years 29, 30 years old. And I've got some money because I've made some money to get to that point. That's how I got there to begin with, but not the kind of money these guys have. Right. So again, I was you know, I was just a little guy that loves Sacramento and still do. Nothing's changed for me. Actually, nothing in my whole life has changed because I love the history The history is what made the story. The history is what drove me to do what I did. The battle to fight the battle, to win the battle over Stone Lake, to win the battle of the city charter, to win the battle of North Potomac. What I felt like I proved then and now, and nothing's changed in this goddamn town, is very simple. You can take a town to water, but you can't make them drink. (laughs) Right. And that's a fact. And so look what's happening to the soccer team. It's the stupidest damn thing I've ever seen, okay? This town... I tell you from my heart and soul, what we did with the NBA would make Don Garber walk on fricking water, but he isn't smart enough to be David Stern. So the reality of it is Daryl Steinberg doesn't have the balls or the guts to be Kevin Johnson. If we're going to lose the fricking soccer team, which is a travesty. start to look at it now, 50 years later, 40 years later, and you see what's going on in the Thomas. You see what's going on with Amazon and the big businesses—we finally, you know, here we are, fifty years later, doing what we should have been doing fifty years ago. Right now, look at look at what's going on around the airport. Yeah, finally, and they're starting to build in the county at the intersection of ninety-nine and yeah, five. Finally, and you can feel it. Sacramento's on fire. David saw that when I was tw- when we had twenty-three teams in the NBA. He saw that Sacramento was a city that someday was going to be one of the most dynamic cities in the United States.
0: I always love to ask this question when I'm interviewing, and I want to keep this to sports. If you could go back and do one thing differently as it pertains to your sports involvement in Sacramento, any deal, whether it was baseball, whether it was the Kings, whatever, would you go back and change anything? Does anything bite at you, does the, the eat at you haunt you that you wish you could go back and do
1: over again? Yeah, it's very simple. It's 1%. The 1%. If I had 51%, we would have had the Raiders here, and probably we would have had more businesses moving to Sacramento, and we would have changed the nature of our tourism by putting us on the map in a much larger way that would have been much more significant related to bringing people from Oakland and San Francisco Las Vegas, and and obviously, you know, Reno, Tahoe area, to Sacramento instead of us going there. We're going to reverse the whole migration dynamic that happens every weekend. Think about that. For me, it's about the 1%. That was the dumbest thing I ever did, but I would have never thought that because my mind didn't work that way at all. And all I was trying to do was was raise the bar on the quality of life for Sacramento. So that 1% was a game changer. That was the reason I failed rather than succeeded, in my opinion. Seriously. Yeah. not no so joke. And and that but I have to tell you, in spite of all that, I still believe that Major League Soccer would exceed the success of the Kings in Sacramento because I do believe that subsequent generations to my generation have adopted soccer and that soccer, albeit not exactly the you know, fastest paced sport on the planet, for a lot of people that's a nice way to go out and enjoy the weekend. Right? I agree with was-
0: you. I'm not, I'm not a soccer fan, and I told Kevin Nagel this, and I've told everyone else this. Soccer will be the greatest success story of any sport in Sacramento when it's all said and done. Like, I see I it. I agree. I, I, I couldn't it, agree with right, you more. Right.
1: And the sad part about it is why the city council doesn't have the balls to step up and get in the game and make that happen.
0: Greg, you know how much I've always admired you over the years. You really are a guy that I respect greatly and everything you've done for Sacramento and continue to do. And I really appreciate you sharing uh, some of these thoughts and memories on this podcast, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Listen, Brent, I I love you, brother. Uh, You helped the Historical Society a few years ago, which I will never forget and greatly appreciate. My pleasure. You were a reason for the King's success, in my opinion. I honestly think that we live in a crazy environment, but at the end of the day, uh, you are as much of the success of that basketball team as I ever was, and as much of the of, of the a part of the history of Sacramento as I am. So I love you, brother. I
0: well, love that you, that means a lot to me, Greg. Uh, those are very kind words, and we got a lot more to talk about. So, how about if we do this again in a couple
1: months? Be glad to. I'm having fun. <laughs> it's great, <laughs> great. Nice event for the first time in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Time now for our Q&A. You just go to crowdultra.com, sign up. Takes less than a minute, and maybe I will answer your question right here on my podcast. Mark wants to know, did you fill out a bracket? I did not. You know, the NCAA tournament to me has become nothing more than basically flipping a coin, and I really mean that. And you can already tell based on, you know, the first two rounds and how many upsets there were. College basketball to me has lost a lot of interest. I don't like the way the game is played. I think the game is played poorly. I don't watch nearly as much college basketball. Do I follow the tournament? Yeah, of course I follow the tournament, but I did not fill out a bracket. Neil wants to know, NBA.com currently has Jokic as most likely to win the MVP. Do you agree or disagree? Well, right now I disagree. Denver's fifth in the West. I can't give the MVP to a team that's fifth in the West. I mean, Nikola Jokic, would he be in the top five? Yes, but there's still 30 games left. You know, there's a long way to go. Right now, no. I would not give him the MVP. I can't give the MVP to a guy that's, you know, playing on a team uh, that's fifth in the Western Conference. Jonathan wants to know, moving forward with Bagley out of the lineup due to injury, could you see the Kings actually playing better in the next month? Well, I could see him playing better defensively. That's for darn sure. They will get better defensively. Uh, you know, the Kings are such a Jekyll and Hyde team. I-, I can't really figure them out. Ben wants to know, have you ever met the great Dennis Robin? I've never met Dennis. No, I have not. Russell asked, how does Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski know so much about what trades are going to happen? Woj is the most connected uh, to general managers and agents of any member of the media in the NBA, in my opinion. Agents tip him off all the time. They give him inside information, and that's how he is able to do what he does. He's great at what he has. I mean, he has great contacts. Uh, He's very rarely wrong. There are times, but he does a great job, and it's because of all the contacts. And again, mostly agents. He's very, very tight with agents. He's also very tight uh, with a lot of general managers uh, in the league. Corey wants to know, is Fernando Tatis Jr. overrated? You know, based on his contract that he just signed, I would say yes but he's only played in the league two years. You know, he didn't start playing until 2019. The guy's got talent written all over him. He's a dynamic shortstop. He takes the extra base. I mean, the guy does a lot of things. Is he overrated? You know, based on the contract that he signed and based on his numbers, then yes. By that definition, he would be overrated. But I don't think he got that contract based on what he has accomplished I think he got that contract based on how the Padres feel he's going to be in the future. And they feel that they've got one of the very best players in all of baseball. So is he overrated in one sense? Yes. And in another sense, no, but that actually is a very good question. Ricky wants to know, Is Lonzo ball, one of the most improved players over the past couple of years, you know, he's really improved this three point shot. And as we come up on the trade deadline here in two days, the Pelicans have a very interesting decision to make. Are they going to pay him? Are they going to look to move him? Uh, he wants to stay. He he's said that he likes playing, you know, in New Orleans with the younger players. But, yeah, he has improved the game. He's really improved his three-point shooting. Tom wants to know, will LeBron come back the same from this high ankle sprain? He will. The question is when. High ankle sprains can linger. So he'll come back from it. But will he come back to be 100% this season? That, that's the unknown there. That is the unknown. Jimmy wants to know, are we seeing more March Madness upsets this year because of COVID? I don't think there's any question about that. I talked about this with Scott Pollard on a previous podcast. You know, with no fans in the stands, makes a big difference in college basketball. The atmosphere is totally different. You know, it's a 40-minute game. We know that. Anything can happen in one 40-minute game. But yes. I think we are. Absolutely. Kevin wants to know, would you still consider yourself a Kings fan? I'm a fan of Kings fans. I'll answer it that way. I will always be a fan of Kings fans. I love Kings fans. I love their loyalty. I love their passion. I miss talking with them on a daily basis, something I did for 26 years. Uh, I miss seeing the fans before and after the games. So I'll answer the question that way. I'm a fan of Kings fans. All right, we move on. Steven wants to know, does gambling propel the popularity of March Madness? Gambling propels the popularity of all sports. You take gambling out of football, the NFL would be in trouble. I mean, it really would. but yes, it clearly it clearly enhances the popularity of March Madness. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Lucas wants to know how many canceled games? do you think would ruin the tournament overall? I think if you have one of the top four seeds that can't play from the sweet 16 on because of COVID, that would put a huge, huge blemish on this tournament. Trevor wants to know, is Anthony Edwards the real deal? I think he he is, yeah. You know, a lot of things can change. He's young, but looks pretty darn good. Hey, if you go to crowdultra.com, sign up, Ask me a question. Hopefully, I can answer it right here on the podcast.
1: It's time for Rant. rant.
0: Today's rant is brought to you by Manscaped. Hey, this tournament season, take care of your hair and holes with the best tools for the job. We're talking about Manscaped, the global leaders in male grooming from head to toe. Now, when the clock winds down in March, Be clutch. Avoid the upset with Manscaped Performance Package to keep all your hair and holes tamed. Manscaped, folks, is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the Manscaped movement. Start taking care of your balls today with 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, for our exclusive offer. And folks, included in this package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, this amazing bundle also includes the Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer. And don't forget about their liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. Folks, get the performance package now. You'll receive two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. And here's something else that is very important, all right? Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35, and they give support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Save Balls Initiative. Folks get 20% off in free shipping with the code NAPES N A P E S at manscaped.com. When things get hairy, make sure to call on Manscaped in clutch time. The NBA trade deadline is coming up in two days. That's right, it is Thursday. And you have already started to hear all kinds of rumors. There's big-time liars poker going on. We heard yesterday that you know the Kings had Offered the trade, Marvin Bagley to Detroit, and they said no, and so on and so forth. Here's the deal with the Sacramento Kings, all right? Going into last night's game at Cleveland, they were eight games under 500. they They're not going to the playoffs, all right? They're not magically going to just turn around their season. They're not good enough, all right? They have been a Jekyll and Hyde team this year. We've seen them when they're at the best. We've seen them when they're at their worst, and they're somewhere in between. And that in-between is not a playoff team. So I get asked this all the time on social media. I get asked this by my friends. Should the Kings try to make deals to make the playoffs this year? Hell no. No. They're not going to the playoffs this year. You know, I've been hearing, you know, rumors of the owner wants this. or Hey, let me tell you something. You got to deal with reality. Reality is the Kings are not good enough to make the playoffs. All right, And if they were to get on the roll and sneak in, uh, I, I, I just don't, in the play-in games, and no, I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. So no, any deals that are made are to set yourself up for the future. And hey, I know Kings fans are sick and tired uh, hearing about the future. I get it. Trust me. Trust me. I know that as well as anyone. I understand your frustration. I understand you're being pissed off. I get it. But this season's done. You're eight games under five hundred going into the game last night in Cleveland. All right? This team's not good enough. They got thirty games left. All right? Thirty. You think you're gonna go on a big time run, like and go like twenty and ten or something like that? Stop it. You're kidding yourself. Stop stop, you know, putting yourself through this type of misery. Any type of deal should not be made for this year. It should be made for the future. And if you don't think so, you and I are on different freaking planets. Got to be realistic. Got to be realistic. And that's my rant for today. Hey, my thanks to Greg Lukenbill. Don't forget to check out my video rants over on YouTube if you don't like that with Grant Niepier.